for the moms who raised us up, gave us love, and made us strong. For the praying moms who don't always know what to do, but always know who to talk to. For the hurting moms who've loved and lost, but never given up. For those who never got called mom, but who cared for us all like a mom would. For the young moms who became moms sooner than expected and gave it all they had. For the single moms who tirelessly and courageously learned how to do this on their own. For the stepmoms and the stand-in moms who rose to the occasion and loved us well. For the working moms, the stay-home moms, the cooking moms, and the takeout moms, thank you for teaching us how to walk, how to learn, and how to make a difference. For taking care of us when you barely had enough time to take care of yourself. For comforting us when we felt alone and afraid. For lifting us up when others put us down. For the rides, the meals, the laundry, and the birthday parties. For the years, tears, laughter, and love. It's not enough, but we wanna say thank you. could never do for ourselves. We love you. We honor you. We remember you today. Happy Mother's Day. Good morning, and my name is Rachel Rickershauser, and I'm the Director of Children's Ministries here at Millington. And I have the great privilege of being with a few of my friends and fellow moms this morning um, on Mother's Day. Um, and before I introduce them, I just want to say that um, our goal this morning is to just have a conversation about what does it look like to live out the gospel in motherhood. Um, and, um, you know, as the video alluded to, um, we also recognize that um, everyone came in here from a different background, a different stage of life, um, whether you're a mom or not. Our hope and prayer is that something that we say today, um, that God would bless you with it and that God would encourage you. Um, so with that said, um, I'd love to introduce you to my friends. So Krasana, start us off and please just tell us your name, your kids' names and ages, and how long have you been coming to Millington? Hi, I'm Krasana. Um, I have two little boys. Uh, my youngest is 15 months. His name is Elias, and my oldest is named Alexander, and he's two and a half years old. We've been coming to Millington for about three years now. Good morning. I'm Delia. Um, I have four really cute kids in the second row here. Um, Samuel is 12. Noel is nine. Edith is seven. I have to keep reminding myself. And Elijah is four. And I've been coming to Millington Baptist 
women's Bible study for almost 10 years now. It's been a blessing to me, and my, hus uh, my family and I have been coming to Millington for about three years and recently became members here. Good morning. I am Shannon Graves. Um, I have three kids, Bennett, who is three and a half, Macy is two, and Judah is eight months old. And I have been coming to Millington my entire life, so over 31 years. Thank you, ladies. Um, and so I also have two little kids. Uh, Lily is three and Levi is 18 months. Um, and I know for myself and probably a lot of other moms out there, uh, throughout the day, we'll be thinking things like how much we love our kids, um, but also how, when is the next time I can take a nap? Um, and at the end of the day, um, what is the, my kitchen gonna look like? Um, so um, after all of that, and after wiping noses and changing diapers and cleaning, and cleaning. Um, sometimes we just sit and might think, you know, what is the point of all this? What is the point of all those little things throughout the day? So today I wanted to start with purpose. Um, so Chrisana, let's start with you. So what would you say is God's purpose for motherhood? Great question, Rachel. I think as moms, we can all relate to thinking this um, at, to ourselves at some point. Um, what's the purpose of this? Uh, whether it's in the midst of sleepless nights um, messy homes or walking through just hard seasons. Um, we know motherhood can be hard, and sometimes it's hard to see God's purpose. Um, I know as we were thinking through this question, one verse has helped us anchor. Um, anchor us is uh, Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 7. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and you walk by and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise the scripture in really Deuteronomy really speaks to the core purpose of motherhood because we're reminded that we really need is God and his word Jesus gave his life for us and in response to that love we have the privilege of loving our children um, in a similar way it's our hope for them to know the love of God, training them to walk in his love because he first loved us, and for them to live lives that honor and glorify him. Amen. That's a great way to sum, up, sum that up. Um, so I wanted to focus in on verse 7, as you read from Deuteronomy, um, you shall teach them diligently to your children. So this question is for all of you. How do we teach our children and show them God's love? Um, that is a really hard question, and I think um, what Kristana said is that we've, first of all, we need to remember that we love because God loved us first, um, and we, God loves us unconditionally, so it is our job to aim to love our children unconditionally as well, um, and I can probably speak for every parent in here that there is nothing that our children can do any more of or any less of to make us love them any more or any less, and that is how God loves us. Um, as well. There is nothing that can separate us from God's love. And with us being so imperfect, yet we love our children unconditionally. Just imagine how much deeper God can truly love us and our children if he is perfect. Um, but that's not always the way that the world teaches us. Yeah, good point. Um, and I think along the same lines, we can show God's love to our kids by prioritizing them. I just think about how many, how much talent how much resources, how we spend so much time with them, and we have the ability to really show them who God is. Um, I was thinking about 
you know, you're not a mom. Show me you're a mom without telling me you're a mom. And I was just uh, last night sleeping. And I think every mom can relate to, like, when you feel someone's looking at you and you just see that there's a kid that's staring at you while you're sleeping. They're always watching. And... And because of that, we have the unique ability to influence them. You know, when we pray, they're listening. Um, when we forgive, they're watching. Um, when we choose to act in, a, act in a loving way, they experience that. And they're strengthened by the courage they see we, we, we exhibit every day. And um, I just think that that's one of the most incredible privileges of motherhood is that we get to show them who God is. Beautifully said, Delia. Like it, it makes me think of Jesus' mindset when he came to earth. He came to be a servant. I think we can reflect God's love to our children by taking the same sacrificial attitude and putting our kids in their needs before ours. Philippians 2 says, um, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. I think when we think about true biblical love, it means we commit to humbling ourselves to love those around us best and dying to self daily by giving up our time, our desires, our own needs, and to love sacrificially. Wow, yes, and as you all have said, that's not always easy, right? And God loves us like that, but he's God, and he never grows weary. He never grows tired. Um, but us, uh, yes, we do. We, we do grow tired and weary. Um, and, you know, all, doing all those tasks, um, those kind of can make you feel um, invisible sometimes, maybe even lonely, because um, you're doing things behind the scenes. So my question for you all now is, how can we as tired moms find rest? Rest. It can be really hard to define rest, to understand the type of rest that we need in this season. We are told by those around us how we need rest and we deserve rest. But in this season with little ones, it's kind of impossible um, when, to find what we think most people would think of as rest. Um, rest doesn't always mean relaxation. It doesn't mean like going to the beach and reading a book or going to the spa. Um, but that doesn't mean that there can't be times of renewal. I think it's helpful to redefine expectations for your season of motherhood, to find contentment, to redefine your expectations of what rest is. Let me encourage you to find rest in the Lord, knowing that we have purpose in the everyday moments of motherhood. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm sure that everybody in here has heard you can't pour from an empty cup. Um, and that worldview is that in order to fill the lives of the people around you, you must first fill yourself. But I would actually like to challenge that worldview and say that's not actually true. Um, if you think about when Paul was in prison, he wrote all of those beautiful, challenging letters to all the different churches. I don't think that he was getting his R&R on. Um, I mean, I love bath bombs and face masks as much as the next person, so I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I don't think that we need to fill ourselves with that in order to pour out into the lives of other people around us. So instead of thinking of us as like a cup, I'd actually like to think of us more as a vessel um, that God can pour into us so that we can pour into other people. And the Bible is very specific in saying, you know, I would say a lot, of, a lot of us mothers and people in general would just, like, there's just saying, I just want to make it through this, this season of my life. But the Bible doesn't call us to make it through an entire season. The Bible specifically says, give us this day our daily bread. 
And I think there's a reason that um, God provided manna daily for the Israelites while they were in the desert because they need to ask, we need to go to God daily. We need to go to God momentarily for the things that we need. Um, so I would just like to say that when you need something, God is, God is there to, for you. Um, so ask God for the fruits of the Spirit. You know, ask him for peace. Ask him for patience. Ask him for goodness so that he can pour into you so you can pour into your children and to the people and the lives around you. Yeah, and when you say it like that, it feels like it's not that we're empty, but that we're constantly just calling out to the Lord to be, to be filled. Um, I was just thinking about how there's that, that idea, like Krishna was saying, that rest is this stop, this pause, this breather, and we just have these utterly dependent people in our lives, and it's really hard to find that. And one way that I think I've been able to find that um, is just by being around... Um, life-giving people that can remind us of the eternal purpose that we have in um, in motherhood. To go back and, um, you know, for me, it's going to small group, coming to church, um, taking taking a walk outside, and and seeing that it is um, it's important what we do, and and that's what gives us and drives us to uh, to do what we do every day. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to just redefine rest. I love that. Um, and so as, we, as I end with the last question, I wanted to get practical. So as we think about what we said was the purpose of motherhood and raising our kids to know and love the Lord, um, how can we keep that eternal focus, that eternal mindset, um, even in the everyday mundane moments of motherhood? Yeah, I think that's really where it, it counts. I think um, I think it's less about focusing on those mundane moments and looking for the God moments in what we do um, as a whole. I think the biggest impact that um, we can do is focus on the smiling faces than on the the clean floors. Because I've realized that I can't have like all my laundry done and a clean table. It's either or. Um, if I want life to feel eternal. So just literally looking and finding and connecting on the moments that matter. Um, you know, the quality time to tell them who they are and why that matters and, you know, uh, what they mean to the Lord, um, that he's an intimate savior, spending time praying with them so that they can, can see a father who loves them. Um, and so I think just remembering to not focus on those everyday moments and look for those God moments. Yeah, definitely. So someone had actually um, asked me this question, what is your least favorite mundane moment in motherhood? And I was like, oh, that's easy. Diapering. And specifically cloth diapering for me because um, that's what I do. So <laughs> I was like, oh, that's easy. I can answer that question. The follow-up question to that was, okay, how do you praise God in those moments? And I was like, oh, well, now I feel really convicted because I do not do that. <laughs> um, so I had to take it to the Lord. And I was like, God, how can I, how can I praise you while dealing with this mess? And um, the Lord said, okay, so what is your purpose for doing this? Why do you do this? And to, in my mind, to save money. But I've always stopped there. I've never gone farther. And God said, okay, how much money are you saving a month? And I calculated that out, multiplied it by two, because I have two kids in diapers, and I was like, okay, I'm saving this much money. And he said, okay, so what are you currently spending that money on monthly? 
and two beautiful children popped into my mind that um, I sponsor in the Dominican Republic. And it is the exact same amount of money I'm saving on diapers every month that I spend to sponsor them. And I was, God said, any time that you have a negative thought or a bitter thought about this, I want you to pray for them. And since being asked that question, I have like pretty much no bitterness in regards to it because it's impossible to, to have that posture of bitterness when you're praying for something that God has truly blessed you with. And um, that's just my story. But I would like to challenge everybody else out there. I'm sure there is, mother or not, every person here has a mundane task that they do not enjoy, that they just do not look forward to, they see no purpose in. And I would really like you to challenge, challenge you to bring that to God and say, God, how can I find purpose in this? How can I find your truth in this? How can I find joy in this moment? And God is not a God of silence. God will answer your prayers. He is always there and he will answer you. And I would just like to challenge everybody to just bring it to him and he will give you the joy and the contentment that you need because God is a God of answering prayers and he calls us to be content in, in every season of our lives. I think for me it's um, thankfulness. Thankfulness works against grumbling, against my grumbling heart. Um, often at the end of the day, I have a sink full of dirty dishes um, and I find myself grumbling and when I look at those dishes, I'm also reminded of all the ways that God has provided. Um, and I count my blessings. I, I think about the food that he's provided for my family and the opportunity to serve those I love. What I'm saying here is that God meets us in everyday moments. And if we just welcome him into them. Wow, that was so beautiful. Um, thank you, ladies, so much. I can just hear and see your love for God and for your children coming out in those answers. Um, this has just been a joy for me. Um, and as we close, I wanted to read a quote from the book called Risen Motherhood by Emily Jensen and Laura Whiffler. Um, so I trust that there is no mundane moment too small for God's glory to shine through it. So I think that sums up our conversation well, that we really just do it all for God's glory, no matter what. And lastly, I just wanted to let you all know that we're in a small group together, and it's focused on moms with younger kids. And so um, if you're out there and you are looking for a small group and you have young kids, we would love for you to join us. So um, we, we use the podcast called Risen Motherhood to lead our discussions. And um, we are meeting, uh, starting up again on Tuesday, May 17th, and we meet on Zoom at 8 p.m. So if you'd like more information, um, please check out our website for that. And just ladies, thank you again so much. And now I'd like to invite Ed Williams to come up and continue with the meditation from God's Word. morning. We're grateful for the urbigs. Grateful for the moms. And uh, motherhood in general, moms, where would we be without you? It's deep. Tonight, uh, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to look at John chapter 2 uh, very quickly. John chapter 2, we're introduced to Jesus' 
mother. And the world is actually introduced to Jesus himself, his first miracle. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at that and what this passage has to say to us as people, as mothers and fathers. So I'd like to read together. I'm going to step to the side and we'll read together John, or I'll read John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. Jesus said to her, Woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. And he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. And when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So in John chapter 1, Jesus, uh, the Bible introduces us to Jesus with really a pretty extraordinary claim that God himself, the creator of everything, took on a body and became a man. Now, this is either insane, or it's blasphemous, or it's powerfully, unbelievably true that God would become a person. And so now here in John chapter 2, we have God in the flesh beginning his first sign, his first miracle. What is he going to do? Well, certainly something spectacular that's going to get everyone's attention, right? Take the stars and... And write his name with the stars at night. Play yo-yo with the moon. Take the temple and levitate it over Jerusalem or levitate it over Rome. Do something very powerful. In fact, Jesus does the exact opposite. He goes to an obscure town in Galilee for a wedding of a bride and a groom. We don't even know their names. And he uses his power to serve This anonymous couple. That's what he does. Now as we talk about what he does, there's an important context, which is when a couple was getting married, and it's not too different from now, but when they were betrothed, or what we would say engaged, the point of that betrothal period was the couple, and the groom in particular, would say, hey, I am going to prepare a place for you. 
He's going to be demonstrating to the bride's family, demonstrating to the whole community, I have what it takes. I can do this. I can take care of my family, my bride, and I'm going to demonstrate it to you by not only providing a home, but I am going to provide for a celebration, a celebration, and I'm going to put on this feast. And what happens at this wedding is that the couple, and in particular, the groom, comes up short. He didn't plan right, didn't save enough, whatever it was. He comes up small in the big time. How many of you saw the Oscars this year? (laughs) How many of you heard about the Oscars this year? You know, when something happens that's memorable, that's not really good, it's kind of the way humanity works. There's a stigma that gets attached. And this is what was looming over this couple, looming over this groom in particular. Oh, you were that wedding. You were that couple. You were that groom. There's an immense amount of shame that... In not measuring up, he, she, they are going to be living with. And that's Jesus' mother comes to them with this anxiety, this this, uh, tension. They've run out of wine. Oh, no. So Jesus comes, mother says to him, they've run out of wine. Well, we'd ask this question because this is the first sign, the first miracle that he did. Well, how did she know he could or would do something? And then we're reminded that she knew who he was. She knew that he had been conceived of the Holy Spirit. She knew what the angels said. The scripture says Mary pondered these things in her heart. So all the little Jewish children would run off to vacation temple school, (laughs) build their birdhouses out of popsicle sticks or whatever they used. And Mary's friend Rachel might say, oh, look what my son Joel made. Isn't this great? And Mary would be thinking to herself, yeah, and look what my son made. She knew who he was. And so she comes to him and she says, they've run out of wine. And Jesus says to her, woman... What does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, how does that land on you? Suppose my mother came to me and said, Eddie, the garbage is full. And I said, woman. (laughs) (laughs) What does your concern have to do with me? Uh, my father would immediately tell me, <laughs> exactly. And, and it, it, it strikes as, as jarring, of course, of course. But two things about this. Number one, and if you've got access to Google, linguists will tell you that the term that Jesus is referring to his mother here as is not a crass term of a woman like women's room, but it's a term of honor and dignity. And in fact, Mary only appears in the Gospel of John twice. 
She appears right here where he refers to her by this term of honor and, dig and dignity. And then Mary, and Jesus says, my hour has not yet come. Well, the one other time that Mary appears in the Gospel of John is when Jesus is on the cross. When his hour had come. And in that time, he refers to her again by this same term of honor as he says to a woman, behold, your son. The Lord was not being rude to his mother, but he is making the point, which we won't get into today for time, about the importance of his hour. But one of the other things, as you know, you go to infidels.org and they say, see how rude Jesus is, he's such a hypocrite. When you read the Bible, it's very important to actually read the Bible. <laughs> because what you see is they have this exchange about his hour, and then immediately Mary turns and goes, ah, oh, thank you. Whatever he says to you, do it. So obviously there's a subtext. And, you know, one of the things I think that can get lost is people, as we read the Bible, we think of stained glass Jesus, you know. Mm. What was it like to be in the presence of Jesus? The one who invented laughter who invented friendship. What would it be like to be in his presence and to be looking into the eyes of the one who loved you since before the world existed? The eyes of the Lord Jesus. Obviously, Mary comes and says, we've got a problem, and Jesus, I got you, Mom. <gasps> Thank you. Go, she says to the, to the uh, servants, go, and whatever he tells you to do, do it. Wonderful, wonderful words of truth right there. So they take the water pots that were empty, fill them to the brim. Now take it to the master of the feast. And what Jesus does is he turns water into 150 gallons of the best wine anybody ever tasted. Now the significance of this we said, Jesus is here performing a miracle. And let, let this not get lost on us. We're used to people who are strong and powerful flexing all the time. I'm strong and powerful, do you know? The Lord, as we said, went to an obscure town, an anonymous couple. And when he performed the miracle, the person he was serving probably didn't even know it. So low key. See, God and the Lord Jesus, they're not flexors. You know, I'm strong, and don't you see? No, Jesus, when the Apostle John says, I'm talking about his miracle, he doesn't call it miracles. He calls it signs. I want you to think of the significance of what Jesus is doing here. And this is what we're going to unpack three things very quickly. Number one, what we have here, as low-key as it is, this is creation. You and I can no more turn water into wine instantaneously than we can create a universe. But we're in the presence here in John 2 of someone who can as easily create a universe as he can turn water into wine. And what John does in his gospel, 
He calls out different signs. Again, he's not interested in directing you to the power. He's interested in directing you to the significance of what's going on. And herein is a situation John is addressing in our lives. The wine has run out. Wine to the Jewish and in life, speaking of joy. You might not believe that Jesus Christ existed. You might not believe that he went to a wedding and turned water into wine. But are you willing to concede that sometimes the wine, the joy, runs out of marriage? That sometimes the joy runs out of parenting, of being a mother? And that sometimes the joy runs out of life. As the philosopher John Mellencamp (laughs) sang back in my day, oh yeah, life goes on long after the thrill of living is gone. This is what Jesus Christ is coming here to deal with. And specifically what we see right here. Our lives, do our lives matter? You as a mom, as you're taking care and diapering your child, does it really matter or is this just a fiction that we like to contrive to give ourselves meaning? What the Gospel of John is saying right here, introducing us to our God is this. He is not the God who goes around flexing. He's not the God that goes into Rome and into Jerusalem and hobnobs with the celebrities that we all think should matter. He's the God that goes to a couple's wedding. We don't even know who they are, but he did. He did. Moms, what you have the privilege of in conceiving life and giving birth and raising a child, co-creators of life with God. What is more sacred? What makes life sacred? What makes our lives sacred? What goes on in the home of our rather innocuous dwellings is made sacred by God himself by the Lord himself. And very intentionally, Jesus Christ goes to what man would consider to be an obscure place and an unknown family because he is declaring, this is who I am. This is who I care about. Second, look at what the Lord Jesus did. He went into a situation of shame. He went into a situation where someone didn't measure up. And he used that time of shame to produce a work of unparalleled quality. He redeemed it, literally. Um, (laughs) Parenting is hard. (laughs) Is that... Were you made aware of that beforehand? (laughs) Parenting is hard. I remember my brother-in-law, Ernie, said, back when we were virtually kids, he was the first one married in the family, to my sister, Dina, he said, I was a great parent 
until I became one. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm not saying that we come at it with, with malintention. I, I think the majority of mothers and fathers, their intention is to love well and to love sacrificially. But we are flawed. We are flawed. And very aware of not what dysfunction, you know, if there'll be dysfunction, I pass along to my children, is what dysfunction? Because we're flawed. But the Lord Jesus is here and saying, I know, I know. And he has the ability. Here, bring it to him. Bring it to him. We don't have to hide in shame. He knows. Bring it to him. And watch and see if he can't do something beautiful and redeeming. My brother John pointed out recently uh, to me, you know, in, in, in the Revelation chapter 3, the Lord is speaking to the church of Laodicea, and he's got to call them truth is truth. He says to Laodicea, Laodicea, unfortunately, you're a mess. You're pitiful. You're poor. You're, you're, you're way off. And what does the Lord say to them? He says, invite me in. <laughs> Invite me in. He is not a shaming God. He is a God with grace and forgiveness. And that brings us to this final point of what the Lord is doing. You're going to see parallels as you look at John. John is chapter 2, verse 1. You know what the first words are? And on the third day. Make a note to yourself. That might have a lot of meaning later on the third day. We're introduced to Jesus, the mother Mary. We don't meet her again until Jesus' hour has come and Jesus Christ is on the cross. And what Jesus is saying to us is he says, I am the one who makes the best wine. Between this provision of wine and the provision of wine that he is going to make in his kingdom, there was this. When he says to his disciples and he says to you and me, he says, I am going to establish a new covenant. And he takes a cup of wine. Wine, meaning joy. He takes a cup of wine and he hands it to the disciples. He hands it to us. He says, this is the cup of the new covenant, of the new relationship. It's a cup of wine. It's a cup of joy. But he says, but it's my blood. My blood. What Jesus Christ did to come in to be able to undo all of our shame was he entered into shame himself to bring us joy. When the joy runs out, he came in and he offers us a cup of communion and fellowship with him. It cost him his life. But the Bible says this, it's for the joy, the joy, there it is again, the joy that he endured the cross and despised the shame and the hope and the beauty and the longing and the dream of God himself 
is, Behold, the bride is ready and the bridegroom. John chapter 2 echoes all the way through to the very end of the last scene we have in Scripture. The Lord himself is getting married. The Lord himself is giving. And what the vision of God has for you and for me and family, this is the context in which he calls us to live. What heaven is going to be is not gold streets. We'll get used to those pearly gates. What heaven is going to be is him. And they shall see his face. And the one who loves you enough that there's no price he wouldn't pay to win you back, that one is saying, I'm committing myself to you forever. This is the calling of the Lord on our lives. I'm going to ask the, uh, the uh, worship leaders to come up because, again, what the calling is in the mundane, what is it that makes the mundane sacred? It's the Lord. How do we know that this is true? Read and see. Manifesting his character. And ultimately what the Lord is saying to all of us in this scene of a wedding of a mom, he's saying, will you marry me? And someone I'd say, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm trying. No, the question is, will you marry me? I'm trying. <laughs> the Lord is saying, no, I'm offering you myself. Would you have me? And the answer he's longing for is yes. Let's, let's close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you that we can read of this couple who you came and, Lord Jesus, you served them. You served them in their shame. You served them and you brought them joy. And, Lord, this is who you are. And we celebrate that. We celebrate your heart, that you are a God who earned forgiveness for us on the cross. And you don't deal with us in shame, but you deal with us in grace. As mothers, as fathers, let us enter into more deeply just how wonderfully sacred life is and how wonderfully gracious you deal with us, your children. As we thank you in your wonderful name, amen.